Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host this week, FG Deputy Editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. This week we're talking about natural capital. Paying farmers to boost wildlife and the environment is of course the road government support for farming is headed. But how does it all work out on the ground? And how are these so-called payments for ecosystem services valued? Well, I'll give you a hint. These schemes are worth millions of pounds. As ever, our reporter Jess Fredenberg has been speaking to some of the people involved to find out exactly how it all works and how farmers can benefit. Hello folks, I'm Jess Fredenberg and this week we're looking at how Cornish farmers could unlock millions of pounds worth of natural capital. The Cornwall area of outstanding natural beauty has been running a trial to test what would happen if it paid farmers to boost ecosystem services. They say that the 10-year plan they've come up with, developed with farmers, would create new natural capital worth between 3.7 and 16 million pounds. This, of course, is one of more than 40 such trials around the country that DEFRA is monitoring to inform what the new environmental land management scheme could look like. Here to talk more about it is environmental consultant Colette Beckham from Gain Consulting, which has been running the trial for the AONB, and mixed farmer James Richards, who farms at Tregominion Farm, got that right hopefully, <laughs> near Lizard Point, and who has been one of the farmers in the trial. So Colette, overall, what are the pressures that, that this part of Cornwall is facing and how have you tried to work that in by, by working with individual farmers? Yeah, so the, I mean, the lizard landscape is, is iconic, isn't it? It's, everybody recognises it, the most southerly point in Britain. Um, it's got the Goon Hilly Downs National Nature Reserve right at its heart. It's very incredibly beautiful, some amazing coastline. Um, but this landscape, like other landscapes all across the country, uh, is under pressure and it's losing nature and it's losing heritage um, and, it, and it is being degraded in, in some way. We're seeing removal and damage of Cornish hedges, for example. I think the biggest change has been fairly large scale conversion to um, more industrial farming and uh, more arable and horticulture and pasture conversion to arable and hort and and then there's resulting pressure then on on soils obviously it's coast so we have bathing water all around the lizard peninsula and we've got the Helford estuary as well which is an important shell fishery so water quality is is one of our key issues and we have seen water quality declining due to soil erosion and uh, things like uh, input runoff from from farms. Um, in addition, it's a really popular area for tourists. So you've got that extra added pressure of lots and lots of people visiting this landscape. Pressure on the access network, erosion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we've seen lack of woodland management, loss of coastal habitats, invasives, and then the extra veneer that that all landscapes are dealing with across the planet, which is the impact of climate change, erratic weather sea level rise and increased storminess and flooding events etc etc so these landscapes may appear to be incredibly beautiful and amazing but they are under pressure and we need to realize that and and hopefully respond to that within future schemes well let's look at the the sort of practical elements of this and i just want to bring james in james you were involved in in this um in this trial as one of the farmers taking part 
what did it involve from your point of view and, and why did you feel you wanted to get involved in the first place? Well, I had uh, sort of two reasons for wanting to be involved with it. Firstly, it's not very often as a farmer you get given the opportunity to uh, have your voice heard and to have some kind of uh, input uh, towards forming an agri-environment scheme, which which is going to go on, hopefully, to have an impact on our farm and potentially the wider landscape. So that, that was nice to be given that opportunity. Um and secondly, I was, <laughs> I was sort of, be, sort of being a bit selfish because I wanted to be prepared for whatever might be coming uh, over the horizon for farming in the future. So if if we could, in some very small way, get sort of a, a head start on that and uh, see see what's coming, that would be really useful for us for our business. So no, I, I jumped at the chance. And what, what did when you started working with Collect? What actually did you have to do? on farm and can you maybe tell us a little bit about your farm and the different natural capitals you have on there and maybe the pressures you have well on our on our farm here on the lizard because we are so far south we have quite a mild climate so it's, it's quite different from a lot of other places in the country and also being in an area of outstanding natural beauty um, we have that, that added advantage for us as well but we've got uh, a mixed uh, suckler herd here we've got a pedigree herd of ruby red devons as well so we've got two farms across two different sites with with different farming practices on both so we've got a range of different habitats and different pressures on the farms we've got uh, mixed woodlands and wetlands and ponds already but we are very much a productive farm my my first aim really is cattle production so within any of these schemes my 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 aim and my desire is that it has to fit around my existing business but in terms of what this scheme required of us on farm so far it's mostly been fairly theoretical but uh, we carried out an on-farm audit with uh, Dr. Grace uh, Twiston-Davies from AX University, which involved going around the farm with a farm map and uh, carrying out an audit with um, plotting all the on-farm management that's there at the moment, uh, sort of as a benchmark, and uh, putting on that forecast for what we would do at the moment uh, under the current schemes over the next four years. We then used another map to overlay the potential options that we've worked out with this framework and to see what impact that would have on the farm for the natural capital value. So, so far, it hasn't, hasn't actually required us to do anything too practical, but it has it has made us really think about what we're doing currently and what, what we could do in the future. Has it highlighted for you what different natural capital you have and therefore perhaps what alternative income streams you might have, either through ELMS or perhaps through you know private partnerships things like that as well well it's one of the most interesting things of the whole process and really quite surprising was just how much natural capital is already being provided by farms here in cornwall and and in general um, we are fairly extensive. We don't use a huge amount of fertiliser or sprays. We've got a lot of permanent pasture. We've experimented with herbal lays and we've got a few bits of wetland, that sort of thing. So we, we, we thought we would be providing a certain amount of natural capital already, but it was really quite surprising just how much we were already doing, which was really reassuring, actually. It was really reassuring that we were already providing this, um, but with a, with a few changes and a few few tweaks to the system, um, the the improvements in that, can be huge. So the, the the benefits to the public and the return on the investment by the government is uh, is is potentially very 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 large. 
In, and in terms of delivering on all, all these pressures then, Colette, how did you come up with how that might look in terms of actual delivery for farmers? Because I know you also had each farm, you, you kind of created a different farm action plan, didn't you? Okay, yeah. Well, um, I think the first thing to say is that we didn't start from a nationally derived list of options to develop our scheme. We we started with the landscape and, and developing a thorough understanding of that landscape. Um, and then we worked with the farmers t- to uh, develop some really ambitious objectives and targets around things like conversion to herbal lay, um, increased woodland planting, heathland regeneration and wetland and freshwater creation ponds things like that so we looked at the opportunities within this individual landscape to maximize benefits for ecosystem services and we had one eye all the time on DEFRA's list of big six priorities so we focused largely on where the opportunities were for clean water uh, for flood mitigation for carbon sequestration and storage uh, to increase nature and biodiversity and we looked at heritage restoration and opportunities for educating the public as well. So we examined that, all of that and farmers were able to set some really ambitious targets and objectives around that, coming up with a list of nine priority objectives with some very, very big targets. We worked out that if we were working on a fictitious scheme of 10 years, that if the farmers delivered everything that they said that they wanted to deliver, in this area, the uplift in value of ecosystem services would be around 16 million pounds. So we were really quite impressed with that. And we we feel that if farmers actually went ahead and implemented what they say they want to implement in this landscape, we would see a step change for all of those ecosystem services and for nature. Yeah, that's very significant, isn't it? Um, and, and in terms of financing, all of this then did you look at what kind of level of funding might be needed to deliver like that we did um you mentioned the case study farms and and dr grace twiston davis from the university of exeter led on the case study farms element of the trial and uh she also looked in more detail at the value for those individuals farm action plans so um, the the maps that James was mentioning that were developed on farm using the framework we looked at the value of that across a fictitious 10-year scheme Um, uh, Grace worked out that for the three case study farms that we looked at the natural capital on those three farms was providing £900,000 over 10 years of ecosystem services so um, that represents a really big risk if we don't get the future schemes right and we start to lose that natural capital that's there already. That is a huge risk, um, especially for farms in protected landscapes. We also asked the farmers, you know, what would incentivise you in terms of payment to deliver this on your farm? And just ask the, the very simple question, what would the level of remuneration need, need to be to make it worthwhile? And we came out a, a a sum of £553 a hectare, which given that some of the countryside stewardship options that exist already are coming out at £500 a hectare, we didn't feel was extraordinarily difficult, potentially. Um, And also looking at the system services value that would be delivered, um, the net value before the scheme compared to the value after the scheme, 
um, if DEFRA invested £553 a hectare, sorry, um, they would see a three to one return on investment for every pound invested. So good results, uh, you know, and definitely worthwhile investing that public money to achieve that benefit. Absolutely. James, can you just talk a little bit more about what your specific farm action plan actually looked like? How it would manage to, to like you say, you know, balance the need to produce food and the need to protect the environment? So in, in, in my individual action plan on my farm, one of the priorities that was, was flagged was uh, water quality and uh, slowing down the flow of water. We, we live in an area which is uh, marked as being high risk for flooding. Um, but unfortunately, at the moment, under current designations, there is no help and support really for us to tackle that in any way. Um, so under the new scheme we that we proposed, um, our farm included lots of new wetland areas, um, buffer strips around watercourses and rivers, um, and quite a large expanse of herbal lays, which is just, I, I cannot stress how good and how important they are at ticking so many different boxes for biodiversity, for water quality, for carbon sequestration, and they're still a good productive agricultural option so that's something we've started experimenting with on farm anyway but this scheme just highlighted just how good an option that is um so that's something which um which we which was uh, really um encouraged through this scheme and would i think hopefully go on to cover quite a large portion of the farm which would then allow us to be productive and cut costs and improve water quality and carbon sequestration so those are the sort of the main things also uh, new hedge boundaries uh, the history on this farm is was uh, an ex-dairy farm that we're on now. We've lived here for about 20 years. Uh, previous farmer knocked down quite a few miles of Cornish hedges. Uh, we used to have 49 fields on the farm. We now only have 17. Um, and given that we're in a fairly exposed position here geographically, we do suffer from strong uh, southwesterly winds. So uh, rebuilding some of the hedge network to help provide shelter for cattle and for wildlife and to link habitats together was also something which uh, which came came up very strongly in, in our action plan and something which I think could be could be workable um so there's 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 always room there's always room on, on just about any farm system to make changes and make improvements uh, and hopefully still allow you to farm absolutely james from your from your perspective what did you learn through going going through this process what did you learn do you think about what defra really needs to do to make this scheme work for farmers well, the, the main things that DEFRA need to do uh, to make the scheme work and to be um, sort of attractive to farmers is to be clear and honest and open with them what it is that they are prepared to do uh, and, and to stick to that. But the main thing is is going to be the payment rates. It all comes back to money, unfortunately. I know it sounds like we're uh, very money-grabbing, but that is a reality of running a business. You know, we've, we've got bills to pay like every, just like everyone else. Although we are part of this landscape, we're having quite an impact on it. We do need to still be able to afford to survive and pay the bills. So it's that's where it's got to come from. It's got to, it's got to be viable for farmers to be able to sign up to these schemes in the first place and for these schemes to be competitive with alternative land use options, such as 
becoming more intensive or renting land out for horticulture and this sort of thing, which could potentially have damaging consequences, which a lot of farmers don't want to do. So yes, the payment rates, but also just to be open and honest with farmers as to what they're willing to do. Um, so I think through this whole process, we have struggled at times to get answers from DEFRA. Um, we were quite lucky in our last meeting to have a, a representative there through Zoom who um, tried, did try his best to answer the questions that we put to him. We did, uh, I feel we did ambush him slightly, but um, it was... Um, he was put in a very awkward situation there where he wasn't able to give us the answers that we wanted, So, um, which I think is all too often the case when uh, farmers try to engage with DEFRA. So I think longevity is something that farmers worry about. They don't want to sign up to something that in a few years' time might get rebranded and rebadged and changed into something else and might become a different acronym. So I think that can... Uh, can damage farmers' trust sometimes. I think a lot of, a lot of farmers are very worried that agri-environment schemes like this uh, is another word for, another way of saying rewilding, and it will mean that their farms are no longer viable. Um, but it needs it needs to be both. It shouldn't, it shouldn't need to be an, an either or an or. You should be able to farm and be a part of these schemes. It, it, it can be done, but it just needs to be done in the right way with the right level of payments. James, I'm dying to know, <laughs> what were the questions that you asked this DEFRA person <laughs> that they couldn't answer? Well, we had a raft of questions, really, that were, that were, uh, that were thrown at him. Largely, it was about timescales. When will we actually know um, when this scheme is uh, being fully rolled out, what the, what the final details of it are, what the payment rates are going to be? All these sorts of things. It should be fairly basic, simple questions. But um, I think the general feedback was from him that they were still waiting on other test and trial results. Um, so until they get all of the test and trial results and uh, sift through that and, and collate it all, they won't uh, necessarily have all the answers that we want from it, which is slightly frustrating. We've been working on it for a year or two now, and and we've got the uh, impending. Uh, impending situation of the BPS being withdrawn and the countryside stewardship being phased out in not the not too long distant future. Um, and it does take a long time to make changes on farms. So the, the longer we have to make preparations for, for big changes like this, the, the better. So yeah, I think that, that was the main the main the main issue really was trying to get some rates and dates was was the thing. But um, yeah, I think he, he, he very he very skillfully managed to to to, to dodge those questions. But uh, no, I, I did feel sorry for him in a way. But, uh, but oh, I wouldn't. I'm so forward for it. No, no, well, that, that, that's it. But <laughs> now we've we've been waiting. You know, farmers have been waiting a really long, long time for this now, haven't they? So. Mm. so. Oh, it, it, I feel bad in a way. It does. It does feel almost sort of uh, like we're entitled or money grabbing but um, it's if it's something which we're expected to to jump wholeheartedly in into and are on board with we need more details sooner rather than later as to what is involved uh, before we can actually make a commitment to do it or else they're not going to fight they're not going to find the uptake is going to be as good as they want. Colette how does all of this fit into DEFRA's new farming and protected landscape scheme? So uh, this is a recent announcement from DEFRA that there will be a scheme that will be launched this year uh, and it's, um, farmers will be eligible for the scheme if they live in an AOMB or a national park. The scheme focuses on four themes, people, place, nature and climate. And what we're finding is that 
the objectives of farming and protected landscapes are really closely aligned to the objectives that we have developed as part of our lizard test trial. We're hoping that all the work that we've done in the trial will stand our farmers uh, who live in the Cornwall area and be in good stead to apply quite soon and achieve some money. And, and because it's come forward now uh, and it's due to end in 2024, I think, then that will help significantly in buffering our farmers in protected landscapes against uh, reduction in basic payment. And just going back to Elms then, James has already said rates and dates. That's what he wants to know from DEFRA now. What would you like to know? I would like to understand more how these kind of farmers in these lowland agricultural landscapes can benefit from the higher levels of the scheme and how we achieve those ecosystem services benefits in a variety of different landscapes and um, in different geographies around the country. Because if we just focus on landscape recovery in the uplands and the levels, we won't see the kind of nature benefits and natural capital benefits and carbon benefits that we need to see over a broader area of the country. So I would I would like to see DEFRA consider a bit more how we focus on the extent of collaboration, the ambition that we can achieve from farmers and exploiting the individual opportunities of the different landscapes that we have in our country to achieve benefit across a really broader scale than just in the Peak District or in the Somerset levels. So, okay, well, let's hope let's hope DEFRA is listening. We want to know rates and dates, please, and basically how this can all be all be achieved across a much more you know a varied set of landscapes with their own individual individual needs and, and pressures and everything. So, thank you both. Let's hope that we <laughs> hear about all of this sooner rather than later. Now, thanks to Jez for that report and to Colette and James for sharing all that detail. And of course, you can find out more about the Environmental Land Management Scheme, or ELM, on our website. Just head to fginsight.com. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Just make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. But until next week, from us at FG, thank you for listening. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 